Well, good morning. All right, you're alive and awake this morning. It is such a privilege uh, to be here in Manhattan. Uh, this is my first time in New York City, in the state of New York, and so it's been an absolute blessing to be here in your great city. Uh, it's been an adventure already. I've gotten to see some of the sights, and uh, but it's most uh, most blessed to be here with you. I love the relationship that our churches have together. Pastor John has preached here. Pastor Jeremiah, I think, preached here in April. And so now it gets to be my turn. I just uh, am sad that I miss seeing Andy and his wife. And uh, we'll, we'll catch them maybe another time. We definitely would love to be back. So with that, why don't you turn to Psalm 34. We're going to be in Psalm 34 today. And understanding the deep relief that God brings to his people. Northwest University on Lake Michigan had a voluntary life-saving crew. And on September 8th, 1860, the Lady Elgin steamer went down. There was a ministry student there, Ed Spencer. And he saw the, la- uh, he saw the, the ship go down, and uh, there was a lady there clinging to part of the wreckage. He braved the waters to save her. Sixteen more times he went back with fatigue and exhaustion. It caused him to collapse. He saved 17 lives that day. Spencer, however, never fully recovered from the exposure to the extreme cold. With broken health, he never went into ministry. He lived with disability and relative seclusion the rest of his days. Years later, Pastor R.A. Torrey, who was a pastor at Moody uh, Bible Church, was recounting this incident at an L.A. speaking engagement when he heard from the crowd a voice that yelled out, he's here. And so he had Spencer come to the stage. And Tori asked him a few questions. He says, what, else, what stood out to you that day? And Spencer said, only this, of the 17 people that I saved, not one came back and thanked me. What a sad moment. This man gave his life, so to speak, in order to save 17 lives and not one came back and thanked him for his heroic efforts. Reminds me of Luke 17, when Jesus held the ten, uh, healed the 10 lepers and only one came back in that particular case. But unlike the 17 or the nine that didn't come back to thank, here is King David in Psalm 34, thanking God for his deliverance in the time where he needed it most, or one of many times that David needed it. This psalm, Psalm 34, came in relation to a particular story when David was fleeing from King Saul. And he went into uh, Philistine territory, Philistia, and he ran into King Achish, and he faked being crazy in order to get out of the situation. In fact, why don't you turn to 1 Samuel? Keep your finger there in Psalm 34. We'll be back there in just a minute. But just to set the stage, the backdrop of this psalm, we get this story, kind of a unique story among David. He's had several unique stories, but this may be one of the most unique. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15, this is how it reads. It says, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? 
Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the floor of the gate and let his spirit run his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack in madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And he let David go. And so out of this strange little incurrence where David faked being insane in order to get out of trouble, Here's what came out of this, a song of relief. Maybe acting crazy hasn't been going well for you, but there is a great relief in knowing that God is there to bring us the relief that we so desperately need in the most dire of circumstances. Now, this isn't necessarily a commentary on what David did. Was it right or was it wrong? But here is what we see has transpired in David's heart as a result of the situation. And it's a glorious psalm, singing of the greatness of God and the deliverance of his people. And that's what we're going to look at today. Do you need relief today? I'm guessing that there's not a soul here today that doesn't need relief from God in some aspect of their life. Maybe you've been looking for relief in something else, something else other than God. We can fill in the blank there. But here in Psalm 34, we see that relief is only found in God, God himself. And so our main point as we look at this passage today is this, the amazing relief that God provides for those who are his should result in great gratitude and praise. God delivered David and he was not afraid and nor did he forget to thank God for such a deliverance. Now, this is one of several psalms that are an acrostic. If you have something like the LSB Bible, you'll see the Hebrew letters that go. That's so that they could remember it a little bit better. In the ESV that I'll be reading from, it doesn't have those in it, but those were there for those in the Hebrew so they could remember it. This is a Thanksgiving psalm, faith in God's deliverance. Let me read you just the first few verses. It says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What an opening. And what we're going to find here in this psalm today, in the time that we have, and I believe Pastor Andy told me I have two hours to preach. Is that? Anybody confirm that? No, he did not say that. But uh, we will go through this psalm and see these four characteristics of the relief God provides that results in gratitude. Whichever side of relief that you are on, whether you're needing it or you have received it or a little of both, I'm sure here everybody could talk about the relief that God has provided in their life from the things that they've encountered. And yet I bet also everyone, like I said, here is going through something where they need the relief of God. So lean in and pay close attention. In these first three verses that I just mentioned here, what we see here is number one, the first characteristic is this, a resolve for the restless. We must be resolved when we are restless. The great theologian Augustine 
famously said this. This may be his most famous quote, and I bet some of you know it. He said this, you have made us, speaking to God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. That is the heartbeat of the gospel. David, here's David, having faced a dire situation. And what he resolves to do here in these first three verses is what we see. He resolves his restless heart to rest in God and God's truth. This is a renewal of his focus. This was a refocusing on what he knows to be true of God. And I think that is extremely important because we see that's where he starts out. And if you are in a situation that you find yourself in where there is stress and distress and difficulty, first thing to do, what David invites us to join him in, and that is to remember who God is, remember his character, remember how good he is, to refocus and to worship him. He starts off right off the bat with worshiping and ascribing goodness and greatness and glory to the God Most High. Very similar to something that Jonathan Edwards did. Some of you may be familiar with this as well. He made 70 resolutions when he was an older teenager, looking ahead to the course of his life. And he was, in a sense, challenging himself to be resolved in the most important of things as he faced the life that was ahead of him. His first one, part of it reads like this. I resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this, that whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Resolved to be faithful to God and to do good no matter what comes my way, in other words. His sixth resolution was this, I've resolved to live with all my might while I do live. He's never gonna phone it in. They didn't have phones in those days, but that's what he would have said had they been. His 67th resolve, resolved after afflictions to inquire, what am I better for them? What good I have got by them and what I might have got by them. This is similar to David's resolve here as he resolves that I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth in the good and in the bad. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This is how David tackles the difficulties in his life. This is the thinking that he has. He's been delivered. Now he's filled with gratitude and he's inviting us to join with him. Invited that original audience, his men, his people to join with him in this. You see there, he calls, what we see here is the situations may be different. None of us are going to be chased by a king, I hope. None of us, I hope, have to fake madness to get out of a situation, nor is that the prescription here. But we do have the same deliverer, and he is Yahweh. It says to be humble. Now, we understand humble in probably a variety of ways, but there is a way that we understand it. But in this particular case, in the Hebrew, it means depressed in mind, afflicted. So what's taking place here is a humility of what he's going through. He's being chased by Saul. 
He's facing the Philistine king. These are dark days, and it's deeply humbling in this sense. It's crushing. Maybe you can think of a situation similar where you've been humbled by the difficulties. You you feel stricken down. You feel defeated. That's, in a sense, what's happening here. David has no other place to go. He's in the land of the enemy, and the king that should be his king and be good to him is chasing him down out of jealousy and rage. Maybe you're in a frustrating situation at work or at school. Maybe school's out, but you've had a rough year in that. David came through this situation. And in a sense, he's saying, if this could happen to me, it can happen to you. What he means by that, if there's been a difficulty, he's the king. Can't believe he's going through something like this. Of course, us normal people, we go through things, but the king is going through this. But if it can happen to him, but here's the flip side, the good side. But if I can be delivered by God, so can you. He's offering that to us. Difficulty, both the difficulty and the deliverance. This was an invitation to others, to us, for hope. Bless the Lord at all times. Magnify with me. Let us exalt. This is David's resolve to worship. This is what he armed himself with in facing these trials. And there's a greater purpose even as God delivers us. And David is being an example of this. And we find this in 2 Corinthians. So why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with me. Again, another familiar passage maybe to many of you and one that we hold dear that not only does God promise to get us through whatever that is that we're going through, but there's also an end goal from that, not just to get you through so you go, I made it, but rather to help others as well. And that's what David is doing here. He's been through it. Now he's wanting to help us and point us in the right direction. And this is what Paul ascribes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in uh Verse three, he said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There he is, blessing God, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by, by God. Wow. For we, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And turn back to Psalm 34. But you see there, God is such a deliverer that he not only delivers you from the difficulties that you have, but he delivers you on the other side that you might help comfort someone else who's been in the same place as you. Oh, you may be a day ahead of them. You may be a week or 10 years ahead of them, but then you can provide comfort in those same situations to those who are hurting This is the domino effect of God's comfort. So then you become a tool for God to help others 
who go through difficult circumstances. What a blessing that is. What a great comfort that is to us. And so we resolve our hearts in this way. In fact, this is really the basic heartbeat of evangelism. God has delivered you from the kingdom of darkness once and for all. The domain of darkness, it says in Colossians chapter 1. And because of that, you want others, don't you, to be delivered from that same kingdom of darkness. It's so easy for us to, to point a finger and to, and to be upset at the crazy world around us, especially in this month, the strange things that will be happening in the parades that take place in what's called Pride Month. But we, but we should also feel a compassion. They are in the kingdom of darkness, in the darkest of parts. They need to be delivered just as we have been delivered. And we want to reach out that hand and that gospel of deliverance. Let me ask you today, how might you need to refocus and recalibrate and to renew, to be resolved in the face of the trouble that you face? Maybe it begins again tomorrow when you go back to work or maybe at school in the next season or maybe just in going home. We're resolved in the face of trouble to remain resolved in the goodness of God. Being rightly resolved in God is the sail that helps us tread wherever the waters may take us. And worship is the beginning part of that. Number two, what God does is rescue. There is rescue for the repentant. This is the next characteristic of God's saving grace. There is rescue for the repentant. And this is verses four through six. Let me read those to you. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. We see that word all several times here. There is rescue for the repentant. And and you might be thinking, well, it doesn't seem like David is repenting there. But remember what exactly repentance is. It is turning away from something, making a 180 degree turn and going the other direction. And he starts there by saying, I sought the Lord, meaning he wasn't seeking the Lord. And so now he sought the Lord. He was turning to God from something else. And that's what true repentance basically is. Ultimately, though, When we're turning from something, we're turning from sin. Anything else that we turn to other than God is sin. And so we are turning to God for that deliverance. And that's what David has done here. Now, we may be asking, and this may be kind of an underlying aspect here of this, is why does God even allow trouble? Why did God allow such trouble for David here? To be chased by Saul? To fall into the hands of Achish? Well, I like how C.S. Lewis calls it. He says, God's pain is God's megaphone. The pain that God allows us to go through. It's God's megaphone. Now, why? We get dull. We get complacent. We get stuck in this world such that we forget the vertical. We get stuck in the horizontal. And so through pain, God gets our attention. And here's the reality of this. And we see this, that David sought God. And we have the promises of Scripture, Isaiah 55, 5, 6, and 7, Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14, 
God says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, that's a promise from God, that if you seek him, you will find him. God's not a needle in a haystack. This is not a big game that God is is doing in the universe where he's playing hide and seek from us. And so we see David here, seek God. I sought God. And here's what happened. He was freed from three things in these verses. Part of this deliverance, this rescue for the repentant. As he turns to God, God frees him from fear. As it says here, fear. We all have fears. Fear as the definition of this word. It's concerns that terrorize the soul, that occupy the heart. If you ever Google phobia, you'll see a long list of phobias. And there's some of the the normal ones that maybe some of us fear. Um, Agoraphobia, it's the fear of public places. Acrophobia, the fear of heights. Those are two things that probably living in Manhattan is not good to have, right? High places and the public places, it's dense, right? There's arachnophobia, fear of spiders. I know some of you may have that. We're just in the A's here. We haven't even gotten out of the A's of the phobias. But I looked up, there's some new ones that have happened. As, as time goes on and there's new inventions and new things that take place, there's new fears. There's expirophobia. That is the fear of not renewing your domain name in time. <laughs> this is legit. I'm not making these up. Stretchophobia, fear of yoga. Some of you, I have that one. Uh, threatophobia. The fear of commenting on a story, on a thread on Twitter or Facebook. Here's the reality. There is no shortage of fears. And we can laugh at some of those, but I know most of us, all of us, are terrified by something, if not some things in life. David's fears were realized. Saul wants him dead, sought to kill him. He faces one of their mortal enemies in Philistia, Achish. What is the great fear or fears that paralyze you in your day-to-day or over the course of your life? Maybe there's more than one. Here is good news. David says, all my fears. Not some, not one, but all my fears. No matter what name they place on these things, if you can name a fear, God can free you from that fear. That's the reality that we have. I'm not talking about name it and claim it theology. What I'm saying is, if you have a fear, whatever name it goes by is not a name that God is not unaware of and he can free you from that fear. God never says, wow, you know, I can't help you. That's a big one. That's just, that's out of my power. Absolutely not. All our fears, he can deliver you from it. A second freedom that we have is freedom from shame. Verse five, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. David was in a humiliating circumstance, was he not? It's a tough circumstance. He's on the run. He had to fake insanity, or at least that's what he chose to do. He was in a low place. But rather than letting gloom take him over, take over his face, You know, gloomy people, you see them coming from a mile around, right? His trust in God, though, radiated. You've seen those people too, right? Not gloomy. 
That same word is used in Isaiah 60, verse 5, where it says, a mother's face lights up at seeing her children. You know that face. David's face was lit up with the with God's grace, his rescuing power and grace just came off of his face. We see a situation that's a little more supernatural with Moses, right? In Exodus 34, 29, he went up to God's presence and the Bible tells us that his face glowed. So he wore a veil across his face because it, it probably freaked out some people. Well, Paul refers to that when he says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, the power of the gospel and the life of the Christian, he says, and we all with an unveiled face, referring to Moses' veil, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What a beautiful picture of the gospel and how it it's not just inward, but if it's inward, it pushes itself out to our face. I'm not saying wear a a goofy grin on your face and look like no one's home. I'm saying that there is something transformative of the gospel that, of course, transforms our heart. We can fake a smile. This is not a faked smile. This is the transforming heart of the rescuing power of God and how it causes David's face to radiate. Wow. Grumpy, gloomy face is not a Christian virtue. Look to him, radiate him from the way he transforms your heart. Freed from shame, freed from fear, freed from trouble in general. Verse six, as it says there, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He's freed from trouble. David is referred to as a poor man, but you may be thinking, well, isn't he a king? But he's a king without resources. He's on the run. He's in trouble. That word trouble means tied up, restricted, limited, inhibited. He's talking about his spiritual condition here, deeper than money. His heart was bankrupt. He was out of options. He's faking being crazy. He's gone to the bottom barrel of 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 his own devices. He needs help. Now there's a false saying, and I'm, I'm sure Pastor Andy has mentioned this to you. If not, I'm going to tell you, there's that wrong proverb that says, God never gives us more than we can handle. Oh yes, he does. He gives us way more than we can handle, but he never gives us more than he can handle. That's the hope that we have. And that's what's taking place. This is beyond David's help. David can't figure this out. But God can. And that's where he turns. There's trouble that we face. Sometimes the trouble comes from our own foolish choices, sinful choices. Sometimes it's because we live in a broken world and we suffer from others' sinful, foolish choices. Our world is broken. God uses both of those to test us and try us and refine us. I could go to a lot of passages, but we don't have two hours today. And here's what he does. He says, cry out. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Looking to him. This poor man cried. He cried out. 
and the Lord heard him. Cry out to God today. Listen to this confidence that we have all fear. We will never be ashamed. All of our troubles. When we seek him, when we praise him, when we cry out to him. The resolve extends to our rescue. He sought, he looked, he cried out. Deliverance came. That leads to number three. There's a refuge for the reverent. We see a resolve for the restless. We see a rescue for the repentant. Now we see a refuge for the reverent. In verses seven through 10, let me read those to you. David says this, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Amen to that. A refuge for the reverend. Here's another false proverb that people will say. You talk to God. You tell him everything that's on your mind. God can handle it. Watch it. Be careful of the attitude, right? That's like nails on a spiritual chalkboard to me to hear that because there is a cocky arrogance to such a statement. I've heard several Christians, even pastors say such foolishness. Yes, we see through the Psalms that David does not hold back in his honest, honest heart but he always does so with reverence. And why? Because this is God we're talking to. We don't get cocky. We're not going to tell God a thing or two. We're not going to point our finger or wave our fist at him. David never did that. But he was honest, frightfully honest. And we can be honest to God for sure. And I think that may be the ultimate point. But we have to keep our reverence in check. Godly fear results in three things in this passage. Number one is safety. Safety. The angel of the Lord. In the scriptures, that was often a reference to the Lord himself. The captain of the armies of heaven or the unintimidated foe of evil. And that's who our Lord is. In fact, many would even draw a direct correlation to Jesus himself, a pre-incarnate Christ. We see the angel of the Lord. So whatever you fear or dread is no match when placed under the reverence of God. You see, all opposition has an expiration. God is our conquering king. He is our conquering Lord. He's the angel of the Lord and the Lord of his armies. I'm gonna go through a couple of verses here. Matthew 10, 28, or at Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? How about Psalm 56, 11? In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Well, man can kill you, but that's all he can do. Your soul is safe in the arms of God. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalm 118, 6. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13, 6. Little children, 1 John 4, 4, you are from God and have overcome them. And the them he's referring to in the context, those with the spirit of Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? We see the he that's in the world all around us. Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is how verse four is answered. We find safety in God. Is there a counterfeit refuge that you're trying to find hope in today or protection or safety? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it escapism? Is it work? Is it family? Is it food? I could keep going and going and going. Even the good things that God gives us sometimes replace God in our lives. And those become idols. That's safety. Verse 8 tells us that God gives us satisfaction. As he says there, these sweet words. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You ever think how amazing the array of the taste buds are? God didn't need to do that, but he did. And so we eat magnificent food. And obviously here in Manhattan, some of the most amazing restaurants in the world of all time in the history of eating. It's like the variety of music and the the variety of fish and the variety of stars. All these magnify the great creativity of God and how he blesses us in so many ways by his creativity. I love some of the food shows that are on the networks, right? You can't help but watch some of these, right? Here's the problem, though. I watch these amazing meals, but you can never eat them, right? I I heard that, thanks for the sadness there that uh, someone shared with me there. I just read, I think it's Netflix is going to open a restaurant with some of the best things made through their shows or one of the different places. That sounds good to me. But that's your experience for a lot of you. You see God, you admire God, but you never taste him. You never take him in. You do so from afar. The truth is when we taste something and we taste something superior, it's hard to go back to the unsuperior, isn't it? You take, you you have a really good steak, it's hard to go back to a bad one. You have a really good burger, it's hard to go back and so forth. But more importantly, when you have tasted God, you don't ever want to go back to anything else. Only he's satisfied. The one who truly tastes and sees that he is good finds a refuge in him. Let me ask you, are you satisfied in God today? A third blessing that we receive as we revere God is his sufficiency. Verses nine and 10, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David emphasizes the right fear here. The one right fear covers all the others seeking the Lord with assurance of the relief that he gives. So much so, the king of the beasts may go hungry, but not you. Not you. This is not the empty promise of affluence, but an assurance of God's responsible care of us. we reminded of that in Matthew 6. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And Jesus had just gone through the list of things, those worries that we have. You do not need to worry because if you seek him, he will take care of you. Takes care of the sparrow, take care of you. You're more important than a sparrow. So we take that to heart. And in this then, we receive in this refuge as 
for the reverent is safety, satisfaction, and the sufficiency of God. And that leads to number four. We've resolved, we're repentant, we find a refuge, and lastly, we are rewarded. There's a reward for the righteous. We see here in verses 11 and on. Let me read to you. This is the lengthiest passage part. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Boy, that's a beautiful verse, isn't it? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Wow, we get an amazing picture here of the reward that's available to the righteous. Now, righteousness, our justification, of course, is a free gift that comes through Jesus Christ alone. We do not earn the righteousness needed to be saved. Be clear of that. We receive an alien righteousness, as Martin Luther called it. That's put on us. It's imputed to us. Our sin is imputed to Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. Now, because of that, we're united to Christ. And if we're united to Christ, there's going to be evidence. There is a righteousness that comes from that. It's not to complete what God did. That's what other religions tell you. But it is a result of God's saving change in our lives. We're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. And they come from this this alien righteousness that begins to exude out of us. How do we know? We see this in these verses. The first aspect here of the reward is the the teachability of the righteous. We see this in verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Respecting and revering the Lord is not a natural instinct. We don't naturally do what's right. We don't naturally think the way that God wants us to think. This is something that happens over time, progressive in nature, that we see evidence of a changed heart and a changed life. It's learned. We're ever learning in God's kingdom. Until we die, there is always room to grow. Let me ask you, are you teachable? I've seen a lot of Christians in my time, and I'm done it myself, where we resist growing. Maybe there's an excitement when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you can't devour this word enough. And so for maybe weeks, months, maybe even a few years, you're just growing at a rapid pace like a rocket going into space. But then something happens, it tapers off. And you're not the person that you once were and praise God for that. But Maybe you're still the same person you were 10 years ago. Maybe you got saved 20 years ago, but you're the same person you've been for 10 years because you stopped. You stopped learning. You stopped growing. Maybe it's been a week. I don't know. We, We can put different time stamps on it, but there is a constant teachability to the righteous, recognizing that I'm not like Jesus yet. I'm not what I once was, but I'm not what I'm going to be yet. 
but he is in process of making me like him. That's what he uses troubles and difficulties. Romans 8.28 makes all things work together for good. In those next few verses, we see he's conforming us into the image of his son through those things. So we're called to strive, yet we strive with his strength to become more and more like him. And then it radiates, as we said. So let me ask, have you stopped? Have you stalled? Have you stagnated? You must always lean in, humble yourself, and be teachable. Just as Solomon taught his sons, and he must have learned it from his dad, fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is always a pursuit that God gives freely, according to James chapter 1. Wisdom doesn't come through a thick head or a hard heart. Troubles oftentimes soften those two things, that we become teachable. And that's what happened to David in this situation. There's another characteristic here, this reward and the, the character of the righteous, and that's the character of the righteous in and of itself. We see here in verses 12 through 14, as he says, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? We want this, right? So he tells us how. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So here's the character of the righteous. Fear the Lord. Guard your mouth, your tongue. Guard it from evil and from deceit. We have lots of verses that we could go to. Matthew 15, James chapter three, watching what's coming out. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As God transforms your heart, it's gonna be reflected in what comes out. And we also see the second aspect, I sought the Lord, I turned away from evil. That's an aspect of repentance. The other side is to do good. And so in that verse there, verse 14, do good. Turn from sin, do good, seek peace. So then, what does your tongue reveal about you? What direction is your life going? Does it reflect the fact that you're growing in Christ? Not perfection, but direction, progress. You have the teachability of the righteous, the character of the righteous. Now the benefits of the righteous. Some have said goodness is its own reward. That's a half truth. Goodness is rewarded by God. This is the mind-blowing thing. We can't be good apart from God. We need his goodness to save us. And then he works through us such that we follow him and there's a righteousness that comes in our life. And then he rewards us what he enables us to do. Isn't that something? It's amazing. And so here's the reward. Those who seek God, in this sense, we get God's eyes and ears according to these verses. That's an amazing thing. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. How many of you have met a celebrity at some point in your life? I'm sure you have. Maybe probably here in Manhattan somewhere. I've met some celebrities here. But if I tried to call them or visit them, I'd probably be arrested. This is the God of the universe. When he transforms us and makes us his own, we have his eyes and his ears. The God who made the stars, the God who made those taste buds, those fish, all those things that we see. That's the God that we have his ears and his eyes for. The brokenhearted are crushed, yet God is near and he saves. 
And even through Christ, it's even become more evident that he has come to us, wrapped himself in human flesh that he might know and be a high priest that understands what we go, go through. He helps us when we hurt. He helps us when we face temptation. Verses 19 and 20, we're not spared difficulties, it says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Why is that? Because we are, we are swimming upstream in a world that hates God. And so we feel the afflictions, the persecutions, the difficulties. We, we feel, still feel the effects of sin in our lives, the decaying of our bodies as we get older. Even the choices that we've made, we've been forgiven of them, but there's still scars. There's still things that we pay for because of that. The reaping and sowing, so to speak. But what's important in that to know is that you're not alone. You're not abandoned. Do you understand this great benefit that ultimately what we receive is God himself? That's the great reward, not golden streets in heaven. That's nice. Remember, they're just talking about pavement. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus. And that's the ultimate reward that we get as we follow him and we trust him and we cry out to him. And because of that, then, along these lines, there are warnings to the unrighteous. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. There will be a time where they're forgotten. Those bad things that have been done to you, those bad things that have been done in history, they won't be in the history books in heaven. They'll be forgotten. That's a great reminder to us of God's justice. In verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. That's the hope that we have. Saul faced God, Achish faced God and it did not go well for either one of them. It went well for David. Was David any less a sinner? No, but he was saved by the righteous hand of God. And that was the hope that he had. In Psalm 73, Asaph went through this. He said, my feet almost slipped. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I thought, why? And this is my paraphrase now. I thought, why? Why bother doing good? Maybe you face that. You're in a, a city where predominantly the, the unrighteous reign. You feel like, why do I bother? It seems to be going well for them and not so well for me. I should give up. But Asaph, by the end of that psalm, just as David here says, oh no, hang on to God. That's where the hope is. That's where the truth is. That's where justice is ultimately found. Justice came for Saul. Justice came for Achish. We, were, we got to walk through the Met yesterday. What, a, what an amazing museum that is. And after we walked through Egypt and saw all the, the rubble of the Egyptian empire, I leaned over to my wife and I said, Yahweh won. In this, and not just when, he, when it came to the enslavement. This was an idolatrous, evil, wicked kingdom for many years. And now all we look at is the dirt of the rocks and stones of their history. And then my wife kind of maybe, hopefully not prophetically said, now we're going into the Hall of America. I said, yeah, let's hope it goes a little better, but it's not looking so good. But that's okay because God reigns. The good that you do goes hand in hand with the good that you enjoy. And that's the hope that we have here. So as we conclude this, David calls us to come face to face with the difficulties of life. 
There is a resolve for, for the restless. You find yourself restless today because of the difficulties you face. Resolve in your heart that you will keep your eyes on him, that praise will be on your lips. And know this, that he rescues the repentant. Turn to him, cry out to him. There is a refuge for the reverent. Oh, be honest with God, but keep your reverence to him. And there is a refuge. Your fear and your worship of God secure you. And there is a reward for the righteous. You are justified through the free gift of Christ. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're holding on to God's word. You're equipped for every good work, the scriptures tell us. Trust him. So are you seeking him? Are you learning? Are you looking? Are you crying out to him? Are you turning to him? Are you fearing him? This psalm is an amazing encouragement in troubled times to keep our focus There is doom all around, and yet we can count on God's deliverance. So much so that we can be grateful. Why? If you noticed, I didn't mention one verse. It's the last one, because it brings it all together. Listen to these words. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That's the hope that we have today. If you are not in Christ today, maybe you've only watched him from afar, but you've never tasted him. Remember that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Talk to the person who brought you. Talk to the person that you're sitting next to afterward and ask them, how is it that I can truly be saved? Maybe you've sat in church your whole life. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard recently of those. I thought I was a Christian, but I realized that I hadn't given my life to Christ. I had not trusted him fully and tasted of him. If you're saved today, then let today be a refreshing reminder of the God you already believe in. Keep your faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you're a God who saves, who rescues, who redeems. And the fact that we will not be condemned Because of the hope that you have given us, we are truly grateful. I thank you for Providence Baptist Church. I pray you would continue to bless them and the bright light that they shine here in this city. I pray for Pastor Andy that you would give him a great time of vacation with his wife and you would bless them both and their family as they continue to serve here and lead these people. Lord, we trust you in this week ahead and we commit and resolve firmly to follow you no matter what this, what this week may bring. And we pray this in your son's precious name, amen.